about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, The man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, 
of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. G'day, my name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to bring God's Word to you in this season, in this challenging season. If this is your first time tapping into the church experience, uh, a special welcome to you. I hope to meet you in person soon enough. Now, some things change, don't they? I mean, the way we're doing church right now, it's different. Our level of anxiety, perhaps, has changed. What's available in the shops has changed. The sudden feeling a restaurant is now full because there's three people in it, that's changed. But some things stay the same. That love is the answer is one example of that, perhaps. Now, what's interesting is that this hasn't always been the way. When Jesus walked the earth, the locals might have graffitied something like, honor or or power is the answer. As some might have even argued, it's because of Jesus that we now write this, that love is the answer on our walls and on our hearts. But it's the question behind this answer that is of particular interest to me and I hope to you. How do we help in crisis? How do we find peace in this anxiety? How do I find refuge in God? Love is the answer. And not only does this season give us a unique perspective on that answer, but the passage before us speaks volumes. Now, in God's good timing, uh, this is the passage that we wanted to preach on today anyway, as we've been walking through Mark's gospel. And if this is your first time joining us, it's okay. Uh, it's great to start here and join us as we go through it, as we head towards Easter. But what this passage is about is remarkable. It centers on the greatest commandment, to love in light of God's love. And uh, this is a sermon over the internet, and so I'm going to try and keep it a bit briefer than usual. So for the next 15 minutes or so, uh, we're going to look at some of these kind of uh, passages, these parts of Mark 12, and I'd encourage you to have the scriptures open in front of you. Maybe you could Google Mark 12, um, you can pause the recording if you've got to find it, uh, or, or open the scriptures in front of you, and uh, let's walk through this together. In, in, this, in this first passage, uh, this first part of the passage, we find this most remarkable, even confronting story about uh, the love that God has gifted us and how we ought to respond to that. Now, we love to love. It, it's nice to love, isn't it? Uh, so when we read about this passage, uh, about the tenants and how the owner treats them, it's confronting. Now, this little story is, kind of, is typical of the way Jesus speaks sometimes. Uh, he speaks in stories that have meanings. And in this particular story, we're reading about tenants um, who are caring for a vineyard. Uh, now, the vineyard in the, uh, in the story of the Old Testament is a good description of Israel, God's people. And uh, we, some of us, like to care for 
um, little succulents or greeneries around the home. And to do that, we kind of we water them, uh, we take good care of them. And that's a description of how God has taken care of his people. I see, but his love actually means that he gives freedom to, he entrusts to even. And so he's entrusted under his love through the leadership of God's people that those leaders would guide them into God's love, that guide God's people into God's love. But in this story, time and time again, the tenants reject the servants, reject God's beckoning, reject his calling upon them. And so what is the owner to do? What is, what is God to do? What do you do when your love's rejected? Now in this story, the owner sends the son. That's a high-risk move, isn't it? It's kind of, it seems like a reckless move. Why would he do that? We're told, they will respect my son. As risky as this is, it is a compassionate and loving move. Because rather than just raining down justice, the owner wants to give the tenants another chance that, that they might rebuild the trust, that they might find respect again. Instead, just like it is for us, when we love, we risk. We risk grief, we risk heartbreak. And that's where this ends up. In this story, the tenants kill the son because they want the inheritance to be theirs. It is a heinous act of disrespect. The owner, God, thought highly enough of them, of us, to send the son. And they think so little of him, we think so little of him, that they killed the son. Now, it's been 130 years since Nietzsche famously declared that God is dead. And it might be as easy as ever to question the existence of God, given how out of control everything seems. And it seems part of the human condition that we want to kill God and be God, loving what we love without respect to God. But what I find truly remarkable about the whole story of God's love recorded in the Scriptures is that He knew how we would respond and He sent this gift of love all the same. This gift, friends, it demands a response. This is a horror response given here. It demands a more beautiful response, does it not? Love is the answer. Have you been asking for it from God? Have you received it? Well, this is the story that kind of sets the backdrop, even of the whole story of the Bible, that God has gifted us, his son, in love towards us. But as we continue in this next section, uh, the religious leaders, they're not so happy about the story. I mean, they've just been painted in a really bad way. And uh, as as confronting as the picture is for them, they decide that they want to arrest Jesus and ultimately have him killed. And what's funny about that, in a sick kind of way, is that that's exactly how this parable finished. So afterward, they send a couple of religious leaders to Jesus to trap him. Now, it's a little section about paying taxes, and I was going to skip it uh, for the sake of of a shorter sermon, but there's something in here I want you to see. See, they ask a question about taxes, but it's a bigger issue than that. They say, Jesus, should we pay our taxes? And Jesus knows that this this question, it's a trap. On, On one side, if he answers it, no, 
Uh, then the Romans who are quite touchy about their authority and their rule will be kind of a little sensitive to that. Their ears are listening. Uh, if Jesus says yes, then the Jewish people who are very sensitive about being overruled by the Romans will be sensitive to that answer. So what does Jesus do? Well, in classic Jesus form, he finds a creative alternative and way to answer. He grabs a coin from his pocket and he says, whose image is on this? And they say it's Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar's, Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, in this compressed, proverbial little statement, Jesus is acknowledging how God's love for us empowers us to set up governance that reflects his loving rule. See, Jesus is not leading a political uprising at this point. No, no. See, we need government. He's even affirming it. And that's just, that's a way that he's empowered us to rule like him, to respond to his love for us. And I think we need to hear that at this difficult time as we, as we pray for our government. Our government is having to make extraordinary decisions in an extraordinary time. And friends, as Jesus affirms the place of government in this passage, would we pray for our government? Would we honor our government? See, all the while, we are also empowered, not just as citizens of the state, but as citizens under God. For it's in his image that we are made. See, Christianity is a grassroots movement, seeking to honor God in all of life, under government and in all of life, giving back to him what is his. And we're reminded again that love is the answer. So let us, let us live every way, in every part of our life, in response to God's love. But not everyone is buying Jesus' answers here. Because yet more critics arise from the religious leadership uh, with a question about marriage that is not really about marriage. See, they come to Jesus and say, in the resurrection, which they don't even believe in, uh, who will be married in the case of remarriage? Jesus' answer is incredible, and we need to hear it. Do you not know the scriptures and the power of God? When the dead rise, he says, from verse 25, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, the reason we need to hear this is because of the power of God's love, that there is real hope in this power. Let me explain. The resurrection is no mere dialing up of the present, not just a better version of what we know, but the renewing of all that we know in a radically glorious new world order through the resurrection. So there won't be marriage in the resurrection when we're all raised from the dead. The reason we need to hear this is because we need real hope. We need that testified to about, we need to know what it's about, that we might lean into it. And as we look into Jesus' own resurrection, we see something glorious and we see total renewal. Let me say it like this. Some of us have gift cards uh, lying around at home that might not be honored, might not be redeemed as we head into this next season. Financial pressure is looming and businesses will be making hard decisions. And it's these kind of uncertainties that really trouble us. But this redemption, this promise that God will come good and redeem all things, sickness, suffering, viruses, worry, death, all of this will be redeemed through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And see, I want you to know the transformative power of God's love and hope. 
See, love is the answer to every question we have about the future. And when you find it, it will help you love for the sake of the good of others and not just as an act out of our own anxiety for ourselves. Friends, this is more profound than I can do justice to in this short message, but see, I want you to find the answer to every anxious question you have. I want you to find God's transformative, redeeming love that he has for you. What have we heard so far? We've heard that love is a gift given to us by God. How will we respond to that? We've heard that love empowers us to reflect his rule. And we've heard that, that love is redeeming and transformative and powerful. And now we hear that God's love fills us to overflowing that we might love others. And that's the greatest commandment of all. Read with me as Jesus answers what is the greatest commandment. Verse 29, the most important one. And he refers to here to sort of like a, an integrated pair. Is this, hear, O Israel, as Jesus picks up on the old commandment from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the golden rule. This is the great call to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is easy to do when your neighbor is, I don't know, like you. Like, I like tea, you like tea, let me make tea for you. But the kind of love that Jesus is asking us to imitate, to gift to our neighbor, it is profound and so different to every other kind of love. And we see that when he gifts that to us. Because it wasn't while we were all lovely sipping tea that God loved us. It was while we were trying to kill him that he sent his son for us. This week I went back to read about how Christian, Christians have wrestled with how to love in very tough times. In his book, uh, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark spends a whole chapter dedicated to epidemics through the ages and how Christians have loved in those seasons. In the second and third centuries, there were some horrible plagues that killed huge portions of the Roman Empire. And the suffering was so great that people gave up on medicine because it was of no value. It did nothing. They gave up on the gods because prayer did nothing and the pagan priests ran away. They gave up on philosophy because the answers were too esoteric to provide meaning in the depravity. But as Christianity began to spread in those early centuries, it, it brought another idea about God and they had heard about gods before. But there was something different this time. Because Christian faith, that is our response to God's gift of love, Christian faith motivated love in the most extraordinary way. Christian faith brought an ethic where, where more than self-interest was in play and that God's gift of love that people were receiving could be gifted to others, enemies, sufferers, across classes, across race, to any neighbor that people would come across and often at great cost to the individual. And during these plagues in the first few centuries, it was frequently Christians providing care and nursing while others fled for safety and, uh, and anxiety. And as Rodney makes a point in, in his essay here, in, his, in the chapter of this book, it was often where Christians were in towns and in villages, 
where, where people were saved physically and spiritually because of the simple act of neighborly love that Christians were offering. Friends, more than ever, we need this Christ-powered love. But you might have some questions as you think about this extraordinary call to love. Should we, too, rush in to serve those who are sick? Let me think about a couple of things here. We should be wise. We need to take heed to the medical advice that we're receiving. Medical advice that the early Christians didn't have. See, in their situation, they accepted their hopeless state and served with whatever life they had left because they knew their life had been redeemed in Christ. It is loving to pay attention to the advice we're receiving about social distancing. But our posture of love is the same as these early Christians. To care about others as ourselves. To actually invest time to think creatively how we might meet the needs of our neighbors. To put ourselves in their shoes. To love them as ourselves. To cross the street to say hi to the lonely over the fence. To to care about others uh, with our resources and our finances. This is going to put us at risk in all kinds of ways. This is the danger of loving. You don't know how it's going to end. It might put us at financial risk as we use our finances to serve. It might even put us as in physical risk as we don't know how the virus is going to spread fully yet. But friends, as we creatively explore this with a passion of Christ's love in us, I know that love will find a way because it is the answer to our every question of what shall we do. Now my hope is that you experience the love of God. My hope is that you receive this gift of of Christ, of God given to us in our brokenness, embraced, forgiven, loved in the cross, and now transformed with this gift of redeeming love. If you have needs, if you have real needs, we want you to know God's tangible love and care through his people. Would you jump onto our website and right at the, the front of our website, uh, just Google uh, Newtown Anglican or, or neac.com.au and you'll see there, I have need, I need help. I want you to click that and we would love to be able to find a way to show neighborly love to you. But friends, let us, let us respond to this gift we have been given. Let us be empowered to reflect God's loving rule and let us be filled with this redeeming love knowing that whatever our story is, that we have been redeemed and that all things will be redeemed, that we might be filled to overflowing and love others like God has loved us, that we might pay it forward, that we might give to others what we have received in Christ. Friends, we all need God. And he has given us himself in Jesus Christ, that we might give that love to others. Let me pray. Father, would you, would you fill us with a sense of your love for us in Christ? Would you, would you give us a, a spiritual, a supernatural ability to love others in a, such a time as this, that we might reflect your goodness that we have tasted so that others too might receive your goodness? Father, speak into our anxious hearts. Fill us with that love that we might just overflow with every fear that is, is driving us right now, that all that might dissipate. In the love of Christ, we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.